Hey, good evening and welcome everybody. My name is Jonathan Rose. I'll be your Curtis tonight. Curtis, unfortunately, is not feeling very well, so we've stepped in for him for a moment. Hopefully, we'll do all right. And uh, <laughs> can I invite you right away, good friends, to like and subscribe because that's part of the machinery of what we do here. That really helps. And if you click the little bell, then you get notifications every time we produce new content, which we do on quite a regular basis these days. And so, the main purpose of this evening is for us to answer your questions, what's on your mind. So enter your questions into the chat and they will somehow, by some magic I don't understand, find their way to us and we'll attempt to answer them or at least obfuscate amusingly. And I'd like <laughs> to introduce you to our distinguished panel this evening. Right here is Cara Dom, Latin consultant for the New Century Edition. And this is Chris Dunn, community manager for Off the Left Eye. And online, we have Karin, who's a writer for Swedenborg and Life. Hi, Karin. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. So we're going to start out on rather a somber note tonight because we found out a little while ago that a couple of really good friends of this show passed away in the last little while, Asher Raymond and Robert Bush. And so we've asked Karen to say something about them, give you some, some idea of who these people were. Karen? Yeah, we're saying farewell to a couple of dear friends who have been in our audience for a long time. Um, first, Asher Raymond. She's been in the audience since the early days when the audience was pretty small. Um, just remember her there as a presence for so long. She was living in Australia. Um, she had a remarkable caring about the environment, about kindness between people, and about spiritual growth and information. She started the Off the Left Eye Chat Cafe Facebook page uh, just one time when she and a couple of other viewers were wishing to chat a while after the show, so she made that page, and that page still exists today. Um, Asher dealt with a lot of heartbreak in her life and, and painful cancer for many years, and yet she was always such a sweet presence in our audience, always a deep thinker, a kind person, and just all the way to the end. Um, so we're really gonna, gonna miss her. Um, she's a sweetheart. And then the other person is Robert Bush, um, a longtime Swedenborgian, um, a veteran, uh, lived in Texas, and a fine artist. And we're going to see a little of his art here as, as we remember him. Um, Robert Bush had such a strong love of Swedenborg's writings uh, for a long time. He had been reading them on his own. He would be the first in the chats, the live chats on Monday evenings. He would just be the first one there saying happy Swedenborg Monday and greeting people as they came in. And then once the show actually started, he would exit the chat because he wanted to focus on the show <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes pop in at the end to say goodbye. Um, but again, we're just really going to miss him. So to both these friends, um, Asher and Robert, we're really going to miss you both. Um, our, our love goes out to your friends and family who are going to miss you. We're, we're glad you're free of uh, physical pain and limitations and excited that you're experiencing the realities of the spiritual world that we're always talking about on this channel. So um, we look forward to meeting you face-to-face -face someday in the afterlife. Uh, you've been a blessing on our channel and um, wishing you well on your journey. Thanks, nice. Karen, for those beautiful thoughts. That's, oh, that's that's, uh, that really is something to think about, mm -hmm. people making that, that transition. 
So uh, without further ado, let's uh, get to the first question. Let's see what we got. <laughs> Robert Rode asks, if a single angel can dispel thousands of evil spirits, which we are taught, how did evil once threaten to overcome the natural, spiritual, and heavenly realms? This is a very interesting question because mm. Swedenborg does say that total damnation stood threatening at the door, and yet how is that possible if angels have so much power? Mm. Um, any, any thoughts? Yeah, I have one thought, and I might kind of start from a different context. I know some of us have, have some deeper thoughts on spiritual history and all these things, but uh, the first sentence, a single angel can dispel thousands of evil spirits. There is so much power in love being lived out, and yet I've noticed that uh, the selfishness that we can sometimes tap into when we can get closer to hell's influence on us, that can kind of suck us in. And so if anything, to serve as a context for this spiritual history that Robert's talking about, I do notice that when I do kind of delight in being selfish, uh, it does ha have a way of kind of making me forget how good it feels to be good. Um, and so for what it's worth, I think that uh, that in, a, in, a, in the context of humankind can paint a pretty big picture. And mm. uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys mm. think? Nice. Good. Karen, do you have? No. Take it away, Jonathan. Uh, or Karen. Well, Karen. Let's, let's yeah. go to Karen. Okay. Um, this, I'm, I'm assuming this question was sparked by a recent news from heaven where Curtis was reading a passage. And it was referring to a time back in history, right when Jesus came to earth and, and um shortly before then and while he was on earth. And it's actually the reason um, God needed to incarnate through Jesus because there was this threat of the connection being broken between humanity and God um, because there is this um, network of, of connection from the highest things to the lowest. And so it's not something that's happening all the time. Some people were confused. I was uh, interested in the different reactions to that show because some people really um, got a tremendous amount of good out of it and said, wow, it really makes me think about, we do have a responsibility to choose what to feed in our minds and hearts. And that we, it's a real effect when we choose evil versus we choose good or, you know, choose the negativity over the, the positive, positive love and things. So that was, I thought, um, really great. And also uh, just to appreciate what Jesus did for us. There's so much going on behind the scenes that nobody knew about <laughs> that he was, um, you know, re restoring order basically. And so it was back. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, fear that some people got was, Oh my, does this mean hell can take over heaven? And I found myself needing to clarify, no, it doesn't mean hell can take over heaven. This was uh, something that happened in history, the equilibrium was almost um, lost, uh, and it is all because of human choices. You know, over th thousands of years, so many people had been choosing negativity over love, uh, and we all on earth are these conduits between, um, you know, between the, the higher realms and the lowest realm here on the earthly plane, and so when there were just way too many humans um, choosing evil and creating this blockage, uh, there was a problem like um, order was, uh, or equilibrium was being lost. 
And when that almost happens, God intervenes with a last judgment. And that has happened three times, says Swedenborg. <laughs> and um, from what I understand, his writings to be saying is that's all that is needed. Like that's not going to happen again. God has um, made um, alterations uh, along the way that will make it so um, that threat can no longer come back. It doesn't mean we still don't have the, uh, you know, we still are not needed to choose love over hatred, but there, there has been, um, you know, amazing things done by God to, to um, fix things. And so um, it has to do with that, that uh, heaven, all the levels of heaven and us on the earthly plane are so connected like a full human being. And when you, um, uh, it's like a disease, you know, a, a disease can, um, <clears throat> uh, like hell can't win because <laughs> like a disease would infect a body and actually make the body go unconscious or even die, but then the disease would die too. So it's not that um, evil could ever take over or be more powerful than good, but just in the sense of um, losing our connection with heaven that was almost happening, you know, and the lower levels were um, getting cut off. So maybe like the lower part of the body starting to get cut off and then the body is suffering. <clears throat> so um, I'm not sure if I said enough to, to clarify it, but, but uh, that basically um, God foresaw it and restored order and everything, but it was just a matter of um, through our choices, we were messing with the, uh, the necessary connections and, and having heaven lose a foundation of goodness on earth that, that heaven needs to stand on, <clears throat> so to speak. And so there are some thoughts. I don't know if I've made them clear enough, but ask more questions afterwards in the <laughs> comments if you want to just, uh, continue the discussion. Thanks, Karen. And the only thing I have to add to that, I really like your point about uh, equilibrium in there because I think that is key to it. And one element of that is that the nature of the side of good is that it's non-invasive, it's non-hostile. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wants to have its space, but it says you can have your space over here, evil, you know, mm -hmm. hell, you can you can be here, just, just don't cross into our territory. But hell is always aggressive and wants to mm -hmm. encroach and attack. And uh, so even though heaven is more powerful, it refuses to use its power to just like crush hell. Mm. You know, mm. it actually loves the hells, wants, wants people, you know, not the evil, but loves the people there and, and, and wishes them well and so on. And so they're, they're non-aggressive. And this is how things can get almost to the point that they're out of balance. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but let's make no <laughs> sense about another question. <laughs> Let's see what we've got next. All right, Pamela Collins asks, if we end up making the earth uninhabitable by humans, either through climate change or nuclear catastrophe, how will that affect heaven? Ooh, interesting question. Will God or angels intervene to keep us from destroying mm. the earth? Mm. Mm, that's a, that's mm. a great, yeah. Is there some sort of fail safe to something? Mm. Does there, is there a, a circuit breaker at some point that goes mm. off? Uh, what, mm. what do you think, Cara? Well, the first thoughts that come to mind are what Swedenborg says about, um, like Karin referred to in the last question, about 
uh, heaven needing some kind of basis in the physical world. Um, but Swedenborg also talks about, in his controversial book, uh, other planets about other planets and 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 some human beings of some kind or another on other planets and so the first thought that came to me was even if earth does get destroyed in one way or another be it by pollution or a comet or climate change or whatever perhaps there would be another planet that would take over being mm -hmm. this most this outermost foundation for the heavens i don't know yeah good point we're not going to run out of planets chris <laughs> yeah yeah i think you know swedenborg's so clear that there's there's such a dependence between heaven and the natural world and natural uh, not the natural world and the heavens between spirits and angels and humans and even evil spirits so there needs to continue to be that dynamic and so whether or not this earth continues or not I can imagine that the Lord would foresee uh, that connection never being severed, um, that there would always be providence leading us to have that model into eternity. Mm. Nice. Mm. Karen, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think Swedenborg uh, straight up says that if, if life were to cease on this planet, that our, our heaven can have another planet's <laughs> Um, physical inhabitants to be its basis. So there's, there's no worry about heaven, um, you know, being, being in trouble there. Um, I, I feel very hopeful, even though I, um, uh, you know, we, the, the thing is, will God allow it? Will not, God not allow it? It's, it's amazing um, how um, I under, how I understand it is God is unceasingly work, working to inspire the best action. So unceasingly working to influence people's hearts towards good and awakening to um, finding ways to not be destructive and to <laughs> be in harmony with creation and each other and everything. And also we are in the position that we need to become the channels of those, of that, um, of that influence, meaning we are created here in the order of things to carry that out. So God and the angels are going to be unceasingly working to influence our hearts and minds to take action. But from what I understand, we, we need to take the action. Like we have to um, care and make changes. And, but I, I do see that happening. <laughs> I mean, I get, we can get very hopeless feeling, but I think if you step back and look at, history and how much I think things have gotten a lot better as far as awareness. Um, yeah, we're in a lot of trouble in a lot of ways, but think of the awareness about the environment compared to a hundred years ago. Think about uh, 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 concerning animals and the treatment of them or concerning children or concerning enslaving people. There's, we've come so far in awareness and yes, we have a ways to go, but I think it's important to stay hopeful and not to uh, give up because this awareness and there's so many people out there taking action in one way or another to try to make changes and to try to do things in a better way. I'd be hard pressed to find someone around me 
nowadays who isn't thinking in terms somehow about environmentalism or helping people. I don't know. I just see it all, all over the place. So I think it's important to stay hopeful <clears throat> on the one hand, but also realize that we are the hands and feet of God on this plane and God is working constantly, but we have to finish the finish the chain of action and stop making the um, both the physical and the spiritual pollution. Because if we stop putting out the pollution, both spirit, uh, physical and spiritual, there's this healing mechanism in there that can flow through and really bring things back into order. And I, I feel hopeful. We have to keep at it, <laughs> but I feel hopeful. That's great. And uh, what I would add to that is that in uh, Swedenborg's work, Last Judgment, he uh, talks a little bit, there's sort of a cryptic statement that he makes to the effect that um, uh, the Lord does try not to have this outcome uh, where the human race is extinguished on a planet. So that does sort of hint at mm. some kind of intervention. You know, he, he tries. And actually, interestingly, if I remember correctly what is said there, uh, it's not a, a comet or pollution or, or so on that endangers things. I mean, obviously those are dangers. But what Swedenborg talks about is the, the really sort of um, worst case scenario is uh, when there's an absolute lack of love on the planet, when mm. when everybody turns away, everybody becomes cold-hearted, because basically what they do is we all kill each other at that point, and that's how at least the human race gets wiped out. The planet may still be there, and nature may keep going, but but um, but that's when the—and so the, the Lord strives for that not to occur, and I love Karn's list of examples there, uh, you know, of positive things that you can you can see— but um, uh, the the real doomsday scenario is is that the love gets extinguished. Mm -hmm. You know that, that mm -hmm. that's that's what uh, the Lord doesn't want to see. But if it does, as you guys said, you know it, it transfers to another basis with another planet, and and the, and the show keeps going. <laughs> and I want to say these are really good questions. Mm. Like you, you you guys are are bringing it tonight. Uh, let's have another one. Thanks, Pamela. Jan asks, does Swedenborg believe we each have a specific purpose here on earth which must be fulfilled before we can enter heaven or hell? Very mm. interesting question. A specific purpose. You know, were you put on the planet mm. to do a particular thing or to be a particular thing? And uh, that's sort of your gateway to the other world. You know, like when you get that task completed mm. or... Or and if it isn't that, what 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 is it? What, Kara, mm. um, you want to take a first? Swing? Uh, sure, I'll take a swing at it. Um, I'll, I'll just say that's not how I think of it—that <laughs> we have a specific task or a, a, a specific accomplishment that we're meant to do. I think we all have, as Swedenborg puts it, a use. We're all created with a use that we're going to fulfill. But to me, I, I, I've come to see that use as something very broad and um, has to do with how do people feel when you walk into the room, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. What's your general effect on people? Uh, what's your general effect in the world? Are you somebody who's working for the good, like Karen was just talking about? Or are you someone who's 
uh, too self-involved to to step out of that. And um, the details about how one's use would play out, um, I don't know. I, that's just not how I think of it. I just think of it as way more general than before I die, I've got to publish six books, Right. you know, right. about whatever. Or I can't move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I could be wrong, but that's how I think about it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Chris? Yeah. One thing that came to mind was one of my favorite teachings from Swedenborg, and it's this yeah. idea of uh, the remnant, um, that we're mm. here to, un- almost in a sense, rediscover who we are. <clears throat> and that, to me, is so powerful. You know, the, what are we rediscovering? We're rediscovering the best version of ourself, the part of us that mm. in our earliest days uh, accepted and embraced in innocence loving things and true things. It's this, like, at the core of who we are, the Lord implants those things, and we become, we're a vessel for that. And over time, we have, you know, layers building up of, you know, harmful behaviors or selfishness or whatever adulthood brings, but it's the chiseling away of those layers back to who you really are Mm. that, to me, is what uh, we should be at least working towards fulfilling. Um, so that's just what came to nice. my mind. Yeah. Mm. I like that's it. good. Mm-hmm. Karen, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I I agree with Kara. I don't believe there's a you know specific outward actions that everyone's supposed to achieve <laughs> before they die. Um, it's it's not about the outward actions. Uh, sometimes I I think about preschool how or preschool or kindergarten and children are in there, they're playing games and doing little activities and it's kind of practicing things that will apply to later life (laughs) in um, more sophisticated ways. And I feel like on earth, in earthly life, we're here to practice. Uh, We're not here to get specific outer actions done, but we're, we're here to whatever comes along and whatever we find ourselves engaged in to use that to practice being a heavenly person or, you know, to develop the skills of being a heavenly person. Um, like both Chris and Kara were saying, you know, um, find within us that um, goodness and truth that God implanted from our beginning and just practice becoming, um, you know, whatever happens, whatever job I have, whatever relationship I'm in, use it to practice how to be heavenly. <laughs> and, um, and another So it's, it's, it's to um, build a foundation of the kind of person we want to be in no matter what job we'll end up with, because we do have some specific use, but I think we, we won't fully realize that until the afterlife, like we might um, have some forms of it while we're in this world, we might be finding those jobs that are along the lines of the kind of thing we want to keep doing to eternity, but it's, it's going to be in some other form. Um, one last thing I'll say is that in one 10 questions show way back when um, I found a number that in which Swedenborg um, or a couple numbers in which I got the sense that a main thing we have to accomplish in this earthly life is developing some kind of conscience and having some sense of uh, the need for usefulness because the conscience is this crucial thing that makes you in the habit of having some higher principle that you could measure your 
lower impulses against and make a decision, like not just going with every impulse that comes along, but having some kind of a conscience. So whatever in whatever code you live in or whatever, if you have that and you're practicing conscience, that translates to on to being on the path to heaven. And then um, usefulness, just some sense of I got to not only live for my own self, but of somehow be of service to others, be of service to a greater good, because that's what the life of heaven is. So I think it's we're practicing in this world. We're just developing some very basic skills that we can carry on in the next life. But I don't believe there's any specific task we have to accomplish before we die in an outward sense. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. Uh, when you think in the context of an eternal development, mm-hmm. um, you know what can we do in these few years here? I was also struck as I contemplated the question just by the fact that some people died a day old or a month old, or you know just all through, and some some people live in over a hundred and and. Um, and I, I, a number of years ago, came to question the idea that only the good die young, like that idea that you're sort of done and so you go to heaven. Well, it would be very important to have a few angels walking around on earth. Like, why harvest them right right at that moment? Um, but the main thing I wanted to say was that, um, that I've been thinking a lot lately about the freedom. Uh, there's sort of a partnership that Swedenborg talks about, and there's a freedom. And I used to think a lot that there was some specific purpose, and actually, frankly, that idea kind of tormented me, I have to say, because I felt like you're you're either barely living up to it or you're really not. You know, those are sort of the only settings, uh, you know. But when I um, started to think about this some more, I really think it's something that the Lord sort of arrives at in freedom with us. I, I want to put out a bizarre analogy. I haven't said enough bizarre things tonight. But um, uh, when an adult dances with a little, like one or two-year-old in your in your arms or, or something like that, or if you're playing a game or a card game with little kids or something like that, uh, you don't play your best game that you're, that you're most amazing at. The kid determines how it works you know it, it, it's the kid who determined okay this is a game i enjoy and can play and so you adapt to that weaker of the two well as god looks at us we're the weaker of the two we're the, we're the kid and so the lord lets us choose the dance i mean we we really get to choose what purpose would would you like to have what what do you mm-hmm. think is important oh wow that's interesting that you did that i didn't see that coming you know and i mm-hmm. kind of like the freedom in that more than just the idea that there's this specific thing that you either failed or you sort of barely made and then you died because you just got there, you know. And so I think it's kind of a cool arrangement Swedenborg's talking about with that partnership. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Another awesome question. Thank yeah. you, Jan. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right and you're not Dutch and you're Jan or something. But um, <laughs> I think we've got time for one more before we have a little break in the middle here uh bonnie bowers asks when women die and when men die is it different for each are they treated differently Mm -hmm. do they go through different processes swedenborg Mm -hmm. has a habit of kind of emphasizing particularly in his book on marriage the difference between the genders and so on Mm. uh you know uh does that play out when we die, like, is there a different process? Is there anything you can remember about that one way or the other? I've never thought about that in all my years of Swedenborg. I've, I've, it's never occurred to me to think that there would be a different thing. Yeah. But I'm sure that it's very individualized 
uh-huh. in one way or another. Customized. Customized for the individual, no matter what gender or whatever they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I think about Swedenborg's descriptions of what it's like to wake up in the afterlife. And it's oftentimes, I try to think about it, like, what would it be like to be the angel? He reports that oftentimes you're surrounded by, like, two celestial angels, the, the Lord's most powerful angels. And they just, they sit by your head and just share thoughts with you, keeping your mind centered on eternal life and what it means to be loved and what it means to be just a, a vessel of love. And I, I can't imagine that discriminates on gender. I can imagine it's equitable amongst all, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. You know, this might be a little bit, uh, uh, this might raise some hairs, but like, it doesn't matter if you're the worst person in the world or Mother Teresa. That love is extending out uh, to all. Mm. And it's whether or not the person at the end of the day is going to spend time with them for a long period of time or not. Be receptive. Exactly. But yeah. uh, but mm. regardless of gender, regardless of anything, you are going to re- you're going to you're going to be in that company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Karn, what what what's going through your mind? I agree. I've never read anything that indicates specific ways of crossing over that are gender specific. I think it's, yeah, that, that crossing over journey is unique for every individual and it's dependent on deeper things, uh, you know, just the state of your mind and heart basically, and what you, you need, what you've been through. So um, the angels are so uh, loving about, you know, that this love they have from God for each person um, customizing just whatever that person needs to be the most, be brought over in the most comfortable, sweet, loving way. So I'd say just, yeah, think in terms of just each individual person um, just gets a very um, special treatment (laughs) from the angels. It's a striking question because Mm -hmm. with all Swedenborg's emphasis on gender, I, I too don't remember anything about people going through. There's some things in the world of spirits where with husbands and wives, sometimes they're they're separated for time and then there's certain arrangements that are made and so you know stuff like that but it's not kind of gender by gender i i I agree with you guys it's more about the individual and your your love and understanding uh and so it's kind of striking that swedenborg really sounds like he's describing a pretty universal Mm -hmm. process that's also highly customized and personalized (laughs) you know i think it's Mm. i think it's very individual very individual, and I don't think gender has nothing to do with that. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think it's irrelevant, but it's interesting. I'd never reflected on it before, but it's interesting that he he just doesn't doesn't seem to go there. Yeah, you right, know, it, right. it, it's very interesting that it's more about your individual, your your habits or the things that you've done or, or the kind of person you are, and so on. That that's more of what it's about. Mm. Well, yeah. another great question. Thank yeah, you thanks, so much, Brian. everybody. We're going to take a little tiny 30-second break here to tell you something about CauseVox, which is part of how we're supported to be able to bring this content without any kind of paywall or, or ads around it. And so here's this message. Please consider joining our community of sustaining supporters by going to otle.causevox.com and setting up a recurring monthly donation at a value of your choice. Any amount helps. 
Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye and allow us to continue to create high-quality programming that nourishes thousands every week around the globe. Your help makes a difference. Okay, that was refreshing, wasn't it? <laughs> and uh, now let's uh, dive right back into your, your questions. Now we've, we're all renewed. Answers questioned. Interesting. Nice. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it already. Ask, depending on context and who you ask, the word faith can mean belief, trust, abidance, etc. How did Swedenborg view faith? Mm -hmm. How come we're getting such good questions mm -hmm. tonight? I don't know what, what happened. Smart an awesome out there. community. Yeah. Good, yeah. Man, people have been thinking, reading. Hmm. Cara, do you have anything on well, that? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the duality that the Swedenborg um, mm. lines up everything in dualities. Yes. Love and wisdom, good and truth, faith and charity, or caring, or uh, goodwill. Or, um, so, to me, I think he's talking about the things that we believe about God and religion. That's how I would just define Swedenborg's use of the word faith. Um, maybe. Um, that's my short answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris. Good. Yeah. Um, and to kind of center on faith from where my mind's leading me, uh, what I love is that Swedenborg says that faith should be a process, that it needs to be kind of coming into contact with ideas, spiritual concepts or religious teachings, uh, seeing how that, you know, how that shows up, whether or not it works for you, kind of like testing it out. And then from that testing out period comes an acknowledgement that this truly is mm. divine, th that its source is divine. Um, and yeah. I love that because it doesn't just, he doesn't say, you know, you just have to blindly accept these things. Yeah. Um, but no, it needs to be mulled through in your filters, and it has to really transform your heart. Um, and if that happens, then that's where you enter into what you would call faith. And is that ongoing? Like, I would, I, I surely hope so. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think so. I, th yeah, I think it's a constantly unfolding. It's not a one and done. Totally. Or the, mm -hmm. the Amazing Grace talks about the hour I first believed, but Swedenborg's view is not like that about faith, is it? No. And, and in the duality thing that I was talking about, the faith and charity, that he, he talks about it's not really faith unless you're living it, and that's what the charity part is, that you're putting faith into practice mm. in your life. So you can't separate those two, as is true with all those Duels. Which is kind of a bizarre thing to say in a way that you can't believe something unless you're... Yeah. I, I thought I could just get my mind to think something and that would be faith, but that's kind of not what, right. what that's he's not saying. Quite it's not how quite he says it. it. Yeah, right. yeah. Karin, you're the, you're the voice from the eastern <laughs> heaven. What, what, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Or the western uh, heaven. <laughs> Well, you guys were, were getting getting to what I was saying. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because in, in one sense, Swedenborg will use the words faith and goodwill together. And 
the faith is the ideas part and the goodwill is the um, uh, the motivation and the actions part. But in another sense, like you were you were all just starting to say, faith isn't faith unless it's applied to life. Like uh, just a purely intellectual beliefs, it's not faith because it has to be lived. It has to be lived in life. And so um, that's a, so faith has to be a living thing, not just, I believe this, but I apply it to my life and I make it um, transform my life into something that benefits others around me. And uh, according to what I read in, in Swedenborg, people have misunderstood some words of Jesus or words of the, in the epistles of, you know, you've got to have faith or you have to believe in me, says Jesus. But Swedenborg explains that doesn't just mean think and say, I believe it means live it, live it, live it, live it. <laughs> and um, so faith in reality has to be an active thing um, played out in goodwill in a life of goodwill. And that's uh, the only time that faith is really faith. Um, I love a definition that Swedenborg gives of faith that he does, I agree with what everyone said, that there's love and then there's faith and then there's um, action, you know, doing for others, saying kind, you know, blessing words or and things like this. And so in one place he defines faith as love in its middle phase. It's kind <laughs> of like... Um, you know, you, you picture a caterpillar and then a chrysalis and then a butterfly or something like that. And so I, that's cryptic to me. I don't know exactly mm. what he means by that. Mm. But what I take him to mean is, uh, and I agree with what everyone says, there's faith and then there's faith, faith, you know. Uh, uh, there, there's just belief or knowledge in your mind or, or a decision uh, that can be an important thing in and of itself. But I think what he must mean by saying love in its middle phase is that love needs certain information to be effective at loving. To me, I, mm. I like Swedenborg's pairing of love and wisdom because nothing takes more wisdom than really effectively loving somebody. Mm. And it's frustrating, isn't it, when you can feel things in your heart and you want to do somebody some good and you realize you don't know enough you know, and, and faith is that love in its middle phase. It's the information that tells you how how to love, how, how to love more effectively, that love comes from God, not from, not from ourselves, you know, the nature of the other person. All the, I, I think that's where faith is such a radical definition. You know, it, I, I, to me, it's very different than other definitions I've heard of, of faith. Um, but I think it's a very... Beautiful thought, and thank you, Answers Question, for posing that wonderful question. <laughs> for having a I love name. that, and having a great name. Thank you. <laughs> Let's take one more here, at least one more. Biomedi asks, why is 40 days used so often in the Bible, and why 40? Wow, that's a great question. You do see it a lot, don't you? The number of years that the judges you know, in the book of Judges, they all seem to judge for 40 years, or there's 80 years, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is tempted for 40 days. Noah, it seems like the, it's, Noah's in the flood. Noah's the, in the flood for, for 40 days. It, it seems like your go-to, if you can't figure out yeah. the number, 40 is a good good choice in the Bible. <laughs> but why does that have any meaning? What, what, what is that? 
I uh, there's something about this that makes me laugh. It's somewhere in, I think, in Secrets of Heaven somewhere, Swedenborg says, well, the reason why 40 is such a powerful number is because it's really close to 42, <laughs> which is six times seven. <laughs> Which just cracks good, me up. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> I mean, he does. He says that. I, I know. It's yeah, true. yeah. It's true. And so, <laughs> and so, seven is a very holy number, and six being the. You know, the factors of two and three, which are all very, very important numbers, and I can't tell you right off the top of my head what those numbers mean. But that part makes me laugh. And in general, though, he says 40 means temptation, which is mm. also temptation or trial or what are the words we're using these days? Spiritual um, crisis. Spiritual struggles and, 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 and crisis. Crisis of the spirit. Which is interesting to me, too, mm. when you start talking about midlife crisis, which happens in your 40s often, mm. which, which corresponds mm. to trials and struggles and temptations. So. Those are just a few off the top of my head um, thoughts without really good. Yeah, uh, they're brilliant, Neat. brilliant. Okay. Thoughts. Yeah, I'm Thank you. That. And then you know, Chris? forty days in the wilderness mm -hmm. would also. Oh, Jesus's temptations. Yeah, 40 yeah, days in the yeah. yeah. Um, and doesn't does, Moses go up on the mountain for forty days yeah, or something? You yeah. know, when he's getting the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, am I correct in thinking that forty also represents uh, coming to a full cycle of something? Is that did I read that wrong? Mm. Read, like the, uh, it it like the, a full period of time measured mm. through forty. Possibly um, that's. I could have could, read that wrong, but I remember no, no, reading I think, that I it represented. Right. Maybe Karn or Jonathan can correct me if I'm wrong, but throwing it out there is something that I that strikes me in my mind right now. Definitely, as a factor of seven. I mean, as a you know, seven would be that mm. for sure. Right, and <laughs> and there's there's so often a time of renewal afterwards you know so it's like this difficult period and then there's a time of renewal yeah. but Karen, i have a feeling is gonna hit Set this one straight. out of the park yeah let's see <laughs> Karen, no pressure eh <laughs> um yeah i mean i just think of it as temptation and uh, it so fits in that story the 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 trials and struggles and journey you need to take to get from one state of mind to another. And it's so it's um, I understand it to mean mainly a time of of struggle and but that's leading somewhere. So the 40 days wandering in the wilderness there, there's an end to that journey that struggle led somewhere. So just like in we go through temptations, spiritual trials, and we struggle, but it's the struggle is never in vain. It is always leading us somewhere. We're always a different person after the struggle than we were before. So uh, my simple re recollection is temptation that is leading you somewhere on your journey. Yes, it does seem meaningful, doesn't it? The idea of, in, I mean, it's a long time to fast. It's a long time to to suffer, um, you know, to be wandering in the wilderness for, for such a long time, which is such an obvious kind of metaphor, mm -hmm. uh, the idea of wandering in the wilderness. You couldn't get kind of clearer than that. And I've even read in, in commentaries that, as far as I know, had nothing to do with Swedenborg, that they see that pattern in Scripture that 40 is a, is a time of crisis or trial that's followed by a renewal mm. and a new beginning. Um, 
And so I think that's why it would come up. Uh, like Kara, I'm a little unclear on exactly why 40 has that meaning. I can't remember if Swedenborg explains it, except your brilliant thing about mm -hmm. 6 times 7 <laughs> minus 2. But, uh, <laughs> and six times 7 would be complete, but, and 6 is almost complete. It's mm. like those six days of creation, and then the seventh, there's that rest. So you're not quite to the rest part yet. And seven times seven was the jubilee, wasn't it? The, the mm. year of the jubilee where all the property would return to its original owner and mm. slaves would be set free and so on. So there's something about being almost there, mm. I think, that, that 40 has to do with. That's a great, great question. A good, even a good question. <laughs> Thank you, Biomedi. Uh, let's have a look at the next one, shall we? Kendall M. asks, are people in hell incapable of gaining wisdom slash truths like those in heaven who eternally gain those things mm. is hell $64,000 mm -hmm. question eternal mm -hmm. okay are mm -hmm. people in hell incapable like those in heaven who eternally gain those things yeah are they just like constitutionally incapable of taking in the truth or can their minds be lifted up what 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 does Swedenborg say Chris Ooh. Chris is chomping at the bit <laughs> yeah well, I was quite literally just reading a passage in Swedenborg's uh, spiritual diary, and I was discussing with Jonathan Rose right before the show started, in which Swedenborg reports that there were uh, members of the devil's crew, as he calls it, or those uh, inhabitants of hell, uh, a few of them that um, were able to experience heaven. And it, they, at first they thought, okay, let's be... Let's be crafty and try to deceive the angels into thinking that, you know, we belong with everyone up in heaven. But the, in reality, the Lord granted these inhabitants of hell permission to experience a heavenly aura and to then experience what really, what it felt like to be in heaven, to feel joy, mm. to live like an angel. So much so that the angels didn't even recognize that these other people uh, were, weren't angels themselves. Um, mm. And that was just for a time to give uh, these devils a sense of or a taste of what heaven was like. Um, he doesn't go on to say in that passage about a timeline or whether or not that can be a full transition, but he does indicate in that passage at least that uh, they do, if, if evil spirits want to experience that, permissions are granted by the Lord for that, mm. to, for that to happen. Yeah, good point. Cara? I always come at it from the view of um, hell being a merciful place overall, meaning that, so, so you didn't tell us how the, the devil's crew responded to those, to that heavenly aura. Did he talk about it? So what's interesting is that in a lot of different passages, Swedenborg observes that, uh, you know, these evil spirits will uh, convulse or just mm -hmm. like not be able to breathe simply because their operating system uh, doesn't isn't compatible with with the reality of of mutual love in heaven. Yeah. Um, but in this passage, it just indicates that they got to experience a heavenly aura hmm. and just subsisted in that for some time okay so interesting yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a weird one yeah so yeah so that's all i mean um about the operating systems not being compatible that hell 
uh, provides a place where people can have a compatible operating system. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I'm right, but I just have the sense that the, the World of Spirits work that we do is uh, long enough and strong enough that by the time we sort ourselves out in that experience, mm. um, we will have gone through whatever desires we have for gaining wisdom and truth. And that will, you know, will sort to the level wherever it is, and then we'll go where we can breathe. Um, yeah. Mm. So does that answer your question, Kendall? <laughs> Some thoughts. Karen, do you have anything for us? Yeah, I think it's um, maybe hard for us from an earthly point of view to not think in terms of sort of uh, – people like being kept out of heaven, like not allowed that they might want to go into heaven, but they're not allowed because Swedenborg really emphasizes that that's not the way it is. Like everyone is invited into heaven and actually everybody when they first cross over is like their lower ego is kept asleep so that they can experience what heaven is like. So there's absolutely every opportunity given to experience what what could be had so it's all about are you willing to give up the lower ego pleasures for that and if you think of someone you could think on earth that does not want to forgive somebody like people can tell them you'll feel so much better you'll get more peace and everything but someone can say no i do not want to forgive them i am so angry or if you um it, or if you ever know of somebody who gets angry when um, something good is said or, um, you know, just irritated it, that there are these um, things in the lower ego that, that hate goodness, that, that don't want to forgive, that don't want to let go of vengeance and, and anger and things. And so it is, it's never about, um, it's always about want, like where someone wants to be. And Kara mentioned um, the merciful thing. I, I once said this to somebody that hell is a mercy because it, it can be so torturous, like somebody being dragged into, you have to forgive this person. You, <laughs> you hate them. You don't want to let go of your hatred, but you have like that's that is um, torturous to somebody who does not want to let go of that, of just stewing in that, that vengeance and that anger. So it's never, um, about, um, <laughs> anybody wanting to go into heaven and not being allowed to it, Like, it's never that it's, it's all about, um, what do you want and what are you willing to let go of? You can sort of have an, maybe an intellectual idea. Like I want to be in heaven, but man, you tell me to be tolerant of that person. No, I'm not willing to let that, you know, I'm not willing to let go of my irritation or anger at that person. So um, I, I will say about that, about that. Um, but on top of that, I, that does not make me rule out that there, uh, I, someday I want to just do a more organized study of this, but I, I think there, there may be a way that everyone eventually get, gets out of hell. And I'll just, because it has to do with like in hell, everybody is, um, nobody is stagnant there. Everybody is continuing to be um, pushed along to have to 
deal with their um, evils, have them come out, um, deal with the consequences, and um, in that way, let their um, passions for for destructiveness gradually get weakened, like kind of start to burn out, and they can be. There's some places where Swedenborg says then they can be moved from a really evil part of hell to a little bit less, <laughs> a little bit less terrible part of hell. Um, so there's progress there. And then there's a fascinating set of passages that I want to study more someday that indicate that everybody still has that um, remnant inside of them, that inner child, even if they're an evil spirit. And if they can over a long, 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 long time, burn out that life of passions for destructiveness that they developed on earth, there would be something left there that there might be another chapter to the story. But I don't want to um, say more about that one. I haven't studied it, but it's it's very intriguing. But I think it could be, you know, if that is the case, I would say the reason probably that Swedenborg seems many times to be just saying hell is eternal. Da, da, da. It might be the same way that if if somebody was contemplating um, using really hard drugs or destructive drugs, you wouldn't say, you say, don't do it. <laughs> don't go that route because it maybe eventually you could get rehab and get out of it, but it will be a very unpleasant journey and, and uh, don't do it. <laughs> so sometimes I wonder if Swedenborg is just saying, just don't do that root of hell. Like, don't do it. Um, I don't know. I'll stop there before I get myself into trouble. But it's it's an intriguing <laughs> question. And God never stops wanting to bring everyone into heaven. Yeah, there's nice. a couple of uh, um, interesting different passages that are occurring to me on either side of these questions. On the one hand, with the question of incapable, uh Swedenborg reports a number of times, for some reason, very important that he was shown that evil spirits are still absolutely capable of understanding truth. They can totally have their minds lifted up. And he sees this in experiments mm. again and again mm. and again. They can totally understand. They get the whole thing. It's only when they slide back down into their own love that they think it's nonsense. You know. And so for some reason, it's very important to him that you don't lose that capability. Everybody to eternity has the capacity to understand truth. Everybody has freedom. Everybody has rationality. And that's never mm. taken away. It's a gift from the Lord to us all permanently. Uh, however, he does also talk about the fact that uh, when, you know, in the, in the Bible, even the person who had a coin, even what they had was taken away kind of thing, uh, that... Um, he, it's a weird thing to say, but why, why you know, stop now uh, after we've said other weird things tonight? <laughs> but the um, uh, that actually, tr if truth makes you smell bad in hell, uh, <laughs> like they can smell it on you, you know, when when you've been around angels and stuff like that, they don't they don't like that doesn't endear you to your comrades. Mm. Um, so people have. They're, 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 you know, good things are taken away from the evil. Evil things are taken away from the good, you know. But I'm not understanding fully how that whole thing works, the way that Swedenborg describes it. And in terms of uh, hell being eternal, I just have two thoughts. It's a very deep, deep topic that we could do a whole show on sometime. But uh, one point is that eternity uh, 
is not just an endlessness of time to Swedenborg. It has to do with state. And I think we've all had that experience where, you know, you say, I spent a week in Paris one night, you know, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can spend an eternity in hell over the course of a day and a half or something, and mm -hmm. it's got an eternity in there, even though you, you get out of it at some point. Mm -hmm. And my final thought on this is something that George Dole, translator for the New Century Edition, uh, said uh, that uh, no one's been in hell to eternity yet. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the jury's, the jury's uh, out. still out. Uh, I think we've got time for one more. Shall we try one more? Thanks, gang? Kendall. Let's try one more. Thanks, Kendall. Good question. Juan Orozco asks... What does John's revelation mean when talking about the devil being let loose after what is known as the millennium? And what's the meaning of those thousand mm. years? Mm. Oh, mm. man. Mm. We're going through 40 years of temptation yeah, tonight. Right. Yeah, we're being tested. Yeah. All right. And so mm. there's that teaching in the book of Revelation that there's a thousand years uh, that's been called the millennium. And then... Satan will be cast down and everything. But, but, but what does Swedenborg have to say about those thousand years? I'm going to uh, pass on this. Okay. <laughs> second. <laughs> okay, we have a motion and a second. Karen, uh, do you want to attempt this one? Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'll say a couple of thoughts, but I'm going to take that question and put it in our list to study for one of our... Bible co-host shows, because that's the kind of thing really have to look up. But just a little bit that I think I remember is the, uh, the book of Revelation is about um, big happenings that happened in the spiritual world. There's always a personal level of uh, um, meaning to it, too, for each individual. But I'm just thinking of the spiritual history one where there was this last judgment in the spiritual world. And speaking of what we were talking about earlier in this show, there was, um, you know, evil had been had been taking over the world of spirits, even starting to come up and affect the lower heavens and things like that. And so there was a, a stage of getting um, evil kicked out of the lower heavens, I think. And that was kind of like the dragon being cast down. Now, I'm not, don't quote me all of this because I'm just going by memory and I'll have to look it up. But then there was going to be trouble in the, um, you know, on the earthly world of, and world of spirits level. Like it wasn't over yet for that for the lower level. So it has some, yeah. I don't remember what the thousand years was about, unfortunately. Um, but I, I feel like there was. I remember something about um, something getting cleared up out of the lower heavens, and uh, the false heavens were gotten rid of. But there was um, still going to be uh, trouble. Oh, man. I, I'm going to stop because I'm, <laughs> now I'm realizing my mind. Oh, I think I'm getting all this wrong. But guess what? We'll do a show about it. I'll look it up. We'll take that question and do a whole show about it <laughs> and tell you the right answer. That's great. And uh, all I've got in my mind, I look forward to that show, is that I know there's something about, like it seems so bizarre in Scripture, like why would you let the devil loose? You know, what would the point of that possibly be? For a thousand, you just let the devil go for a thousand? It seems crazy. Why would God do that? And uh, Swedenborg's, uh, if I remember his answers, really intriguing thought that actually for the processing of the 
evil, they have to be allowed to get to the point of being clear that they are 100% against good and attack it. Mm-hmm. And a thousand years is part of their process to get to that point. It's not about an individual devil, and it actually isn't in this earth. It's in the world of spirits that Swedenborg describes between heaven and hell. And so it's a process, and even though they, they have to be allowed to get to the point where they attack the good, but if you look in the book of Revelation, the attack hardly takes any time at all. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes them, bombs all over, you know. <laughs> but they need to ripen to that point where they get clear, because otherwise, if it could turn around the other way, the Lord's going to let it let it run, you know, to see if he can he can rescue them. And so he waits to that to that point, uh, and he protects the good from that attack, so they're they're not harmed by it. And uh, Swedenborg has a much better explanation <laughs> than we've managed to provide you with, but maybe we can get something together for for a show sometime. So thank you, Juan, for that excellent question. And thanks, everybody, for all those questions tonight. It's a really awesome experience um, to um, have this show, have this time with you. I want to tell you again uh, that if you'd like to do this for us, liking and subscribing is a great thing. Uh, you know, in, in case this is your first time, now you've seen a little more of the, the kind of crazy things that we get into here. If you like this kind of thing, do help us out because it helps with the whole algorithm and everything. And uh, we've got some more shows coming up for you. We've got an episode of News from Heaven on Thursday titled How Heaven Connects to Your Body. How could heaven connect to your body? And on Saturday, why our bodies and spirits look so different. We also polled you to try to find out what short clips you'd like to see in the coming week. And uh, the poll results were that on Wednesday we're going to do a clip titled There Is a Reason Bad Things Happen. Isn't that everybody's number one question? And on Friday, angels have different heartbeats. So those are the short clips coming up. And next Monday, this coming Monday, a week from tonight, uh, we're having the fourth in our series called What Happens to Celebrities in the Afterlife. We've had this whole season about the afterlife pre-recorded show, and so that'll be on Monday. And I want to thank our guests here, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Karen Childs. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom tonight. And uh, thanks to all of you out there. Keep watching, and we're sending you love and hoping Curtis feels better, too. <laughs>